listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to T2D Don't Sugarcoat It, delivering bite-sized pieces of information to your ears. My name is Dr. John Anderson, and I practice internal medicine and diabetes at the Frist Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. It's part of a large multi-specialty clinic, and while I have expertise in diabetes, I'm a primary care physician. This program is intended for clinicians. The information presented in this podcast is aligned with the views and opinions of the speakers and is sponsored by Novo Nordisk. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Pam Taub and Dr. Mark Greathouse to discuss today's topic, the increased risk of cardiovascular disease in patients with T2D. Pam, I'll let you go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's great to be here with you and Mark. I'm a cardiologist and professor of medicine at UC San Diego, and I'm also the director of our cardiac rehabilitation and wellness center. I have a big clinical and research interest in cardiometabolic disease. Thanks, Pam. And Mark? Well, thank you, John. I'm coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm in my 32nd year of being an active clinical cardiologist, spending up until a year ago in the cath lab as well, but now I'm totally concentrating on clinical work. And I'm very excited about the treatment of type 2 diabetes and how it may affect cardiologists. Well, welcome to both of you. We know that it wasn't long ago that we focused on type 2 diabetes exclusively in terms of glycemic control, and we talked a little bit about blood pressure and lipid management, but now we're all on board in addressing cardiovascular risk in our patients with T2D. Back in 2008, because of the increased CVD risk associated with certain diabetes drugs, the FDA has mandated that any new medicine for diabetes that comes to the U.S. marketplace had to prove cardiovascular safety. So now we have all these cardiovascular outcomes trials, or CVOTs, for diabetes drugs. In addition, not only do the current diabetes guidelines, like those from the American Diabetes Association and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, make recommendations on addressing cardiovascular risk in patients with T2D, but the leading cardiology professional societies, like the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology, have also put out recommendations on managing cardiovascular risk, specifically in the T2D population. John, you mentioned two major risk factors of cardiovascular disease, blood pressure or hypertension and lipid management or dyslipidemia. It's become very common among clinicians in adult medicine to have their therapies of choice that they use for hypertension and dyslipidemia. In diabetes care, therapies with proven cardiovascular benefit had been lacking. And I think that's what makes this era so exciting. Now it's not just about getting the hemoglobin A1C down. It's about how you reduce cardiovascular risk and also about other factors such as inflammation playing a role in it. So Mark, as you said, let's say you treat the patient with type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and optimize blood pressure management and lipid management as well as drive their A1C to goal. Despite that, these patients can still have increased CV risk or residual CV risk. Can you talk just a little bit about residual CV risk? Well, basically, residual cardiovascular risk is the proof that we don't have any particular cures for cardiovascular disease. We're managing a long-term condition because residual cardiovascular risk is the risk of vascular events or progression of vascular damage that remains despite being on current 
evidence-based treatment with standards of care. We know that in cardiovascular disease, in, in terms of treating lipids, statins markedly reduce long-term risk, both primary and secondary prevention, and that blocking the renin-angiotensin system is very effective in lowering blood pressure. But unfortunately, there have been studies done, such as CARDS, HOPE, TNT, that show that there were still patients with type 2 diabetes who, despite being on these therapies, had cardiovascular events down the road. But as I said, times are changing. And now we have classes of drug with proven cardiovascular benefit, meaning a label indication of reducing cardiovascular events to treat type 2 diabetes that we didn't have back then, back when those studies were done. And these type 2 diabetes therapies are recommended for use with type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease by national endocrinology societies as well as national cardiology societies. You know, that's true. And I agree that it is an exciting era. And I'm happy to be here talking to you and Pam, two cardiologists, about type 2 diabetes. Now, let's get into some of the pathogenesis of cardiovascular disease to understand how type 2 diabetes may contribute to some of the mechanisms involved uh, to aggravate cardiovascular disease. Pam, Mark mentioned inflammation before. Can you talk to us a little bit about the relationship between T2D and inflammation? Sure. Inflammation is a driver of so many diseases, including cancer and diabetes. It is also a key substrate and driver of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. We now have better insight into how diabetes exacerbates cardiovascular disease via inflammation. Insulin resistance and hyperglycemia contribute both to inflammation and a prothrombotic milieu, which are key drivers of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And patients with type 2 diabetes have insulin resistance and hyperglycemia, and therefore a higher tendency for coronary artery calcification. Thus, they have a higher plaque burden and generally have more inflammation. So inflammation is a key aspect that we need to understand, and it's a big driver of residual risk. And so it's something that we need to keep in mind, especially in patients who, despite being optimally treated, unfortunately continue to have events. Thanks, Pam. And we know that the reverse can also be true. Inflammation in patients with obesity can, in and of itself, lead to insulin resistance. Insulin resistance, coupled with the destruction of insulin-producing beta cells, along with a lot of toxic inflammatory mediators, reduces the ability to maintain glycemic control, and that frequently leads to the development of type 2 diabetes. We also know that hyperglycemia in T2D is a major contributor to this prothrombotic state that you mentioned. So what do we know about the increased risk of cardiovascular disease in patients with dysglycemia? So sometimes we forget about the importance of glycemic control, especially with all of the new data with cardiovascular outcome trials. But we still need to remember that glycemic control is very important especially in the prevention of microvascular disease. And analysis of epidemiologic data has shown that loss of glycemic control is actually associated with an increased risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease in our patients with type 2 diabetes. 
And for every 1% increase in A1C, there is an 11 to 16% increase in cardiovascular events. So we can't forget about the basics, which is glycemic control for our patients with type 2 diabetes. You know, Pam, I think that's a great point of emphasis because in my experience, many people are saying, uh, does glycemic control even matter anymore? Well, of course it matters. It matters significantly for microvascular disease. And as you pointed out, perhaps it's not quite as impactful, but it does matter for cardiovascular risk reduction as well. Mark, how does cardiovascular disease impact morbidity and mortality in our patients with type 2 diabetes? Well, it's remarkable that if you look at life expectancy for an adult, just having the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes has been shown to reduce your life expectancy by approximately seven years based on large registry data. If you go on and have an event, say a heart attack, there's a further reduction, more than double that seven-year loss. And then if there's a stroke on top of that, we're talking about nearly 20 years of life lost. And all the implications of the morbidity that goes with that and the loss of quality of life, most of those years of life lost are driven by cardiovascular events. In my mind, and I think many cardiologists would agree, type 2 diabetes is an equivalent of cardiovascular disease. So it's truly important that we use all the medications that we have available to us, medication that has a strong scientific basis and medications for type 2 diabetes that show a reduction in cardiovascular events. And Mark, it's not only that patients with type 2 diabetes, as you pointed out, are at increased risk, but patients with diabetes who have those events, say a stroke, they have poor outcomes too, don't they? Well, they absolutely do. It's been shown that compared to patients without type 2 diabetes, patients with diabetes have a higher mortality and stroke readmission than those without. And so anything that we can do early in the process of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease diagnoses being made may be beneficial in the future of that patient's life. And you know, it's not just about the human toll, but the cost to society in terms of patients with cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease in patients with T2D places a significant burden at the population level, and it was shown to contribute to approximately 20 to 49% of the total direct costs of treating type 2 diabetes. So clearly, cardiovascular risk needs to be addressed in patients with type 2 diabetes, as both of you have pointed out. And as I mentioned before, ADA and ACE have updated their recommendations in recent years to highlight the need to treat cardiovascular risk factors in patients with diabetes and make recommendations on specific drug classes to use for patients with established cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. And what's interesting in these recommendations, regardless of baseline A1C, regardless of whether metformin has been used, regardless of the target A1C, is that these risk factors need to be addressed specifically in addition to glycemic control. We touched on this before, but Pam, can you tell us in more detail about what the National Cardiology Associations recommend for patients with established CVD and type 2 diabetes? So the American College of Cardiology put out an expert consensus decision pathway, which is an elegant document that summarizes all the recent cardiovascular outcome trials and really encourages cardiologists to take more of an active role in the management of cardiovascular disease 
and cardiovascular disease risk in our patients with type 2 diabetes. And in this consensus pathway, they've delineated some key classes of drugs that cardiologists should be thinking about. And the AHA also has a similar stance in encouraging cardiologists to be more active in managing cardiovascular risk in patients with type 2 diabetes. Pam, thanks. And I would encourage our listeners of this podcast to take a look at those sources so you start to look at what's recommended now for the patients you see every day in your clinic who have type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and cardiovascular risk. So I'll ask both of you, is the role of the cardiologist changing? Mark, you made a point. You're an interventionalist. You did it for 32 years, and now you're looking at cardiometabolic risk. Is the role of the cardiologist changing? Is the relationship between primary care endocrinology and cardiology changing as the professional societies are really aligning on how to treat patients? Oh, absolutely. And it's from the top on down, being encouraged by the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association. I mean, if, if you look at it, healthcare in the United States is not a perfect system. People are entering for care at different points with different people in charge of their care. And it's just impossible for all the primary care physicians who want to be actively taking care of them to get to all of these patients. I look at my role as being ancillary, identifying patients who I know have or who are at high risk for cardiovascular disease, who also have issues with glycemic control. Not so much to get the hemoglobin A1C down to a certain level, but to make certain that they're being treated with the medications that can further reduce their residual risk. Again, we have the patients on their statins, ACEs, and ARBs, and they could still be having cardiovascular events. Now, of course, we have to make sure that lifestyle modifications are adhered to as much as possible. But what if that's not enough? How can we further reduce it? Well, if they have type 2 diabetes that's active, we now have therapies that fit right into that protocol. You know, and Pam, it really is about treating the patient who's sitting right there in front of you and trying to sort of break down those silos, isn't it? John, elegantly stated, and I absolutely agree with you, it's about breaking down those silos. And to add to what Mark said, I know this goes against some of what we've been saying, but in my view, the role of the cardiologist hasn't fundamentally changed. Our goal is, as ever, to prevent and treat cardiovascular disease. But what has changed is that we're more empowered with more tools in our toolkit to reduce the risk of cardiovascular events, specifically in our patients with type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, especially with some of the cardiovascular outcome trial data that has shown CV benefit. I also think this is going to change the communication between those taking care of the people with type 2 diabetes and the cardiovascular specialist. You know, whether it's a mode of communication, shared electronic messaging through email, or even just picking up the phone and identifying the opportunities to improve patient management when they present themselves. For more information on the guidelines discussed in this podcast, please visit pro.aace.com, professional.diabetes.org, professional.heart.org, and acc.org. Pam and Mark, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast today and for taking time for this important discussion. And I want to thank you for joining us for this podcast, T2D, Don't Sugarcoat It. Please join us next time. 
I'm Dr. John Anderson. Thanks for listening.